morning. It is just a delight to be here and to share God's Word. I love God's Word. I love the power of God's Word. And I'd like you to take the Bible in your hands, if you would. It may be electronic, it may be paper. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. If you have a Bible, bring a Bible. Mark it up. Highlight it. Do something with it. Share it with someone. But bring your Bibles this morning. Before we go into the Word, let's pray. Jesus, now we've come together for many reasons, but perhaps uh, none more important than to, to worship you, to praise you, and to receive from you. And so, Lord, while we like each other and we fellowship together, we also gather together in this place desiring more of you. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us through your word. This word is powerful. It is alive. It instructs us. It corrects us. It directs us. It it, it comforts us. Thank you, Lord, for your word It convicts us of sin. It it identifies things. It exposes things in our hearts, Lord, that we we may not have seen. And your Holy Spirit who who authored this book, Lord, uh, dwells within us because we are followers of you. But Lord, speak to us today through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to take your Bible now and turn uh, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Some of the most important questions you will ever ask begin with the word, why? You ever notice that? Some of the most important questions you will ever ask or wonder will begin with the word, why? Why me? Why now? Why here? Why is this happening? Why is it taking so long? Why them and not me? Why not? Why is this important? The word why is is very, very important, and, and it's important because it goes to purpose. When you ask why questions, you're asking, what is the purpose for this? What is the reason for this? What is the deeper meaning to this? That's what we ask when we ask why questions. Why questions are some of the most important questions we can ask. There was a man who lived a very long time ago named Joseph. We've studied him in recent weeks. Let me give you a bit of a review. Joseph was a man who lived a very long time ago, and Joseph asked why questions throughout his life. We sometimes call Joseph the dreamer. We call him the dreamer because at age 17, God gave him a dream. God showed him that at some point in the future, his entire family would bow down to him. Now, he didn't know the why of why they would bow down to him. He didn't know when or he he didn't know all the things that would surround it, but he knew that his family was going to bow down to him. That's the only image that he saw in this dream, but he held on to that dream for many years to come. He knew that God had spoken to him. He knew that God had given him this dream. We call him the dreamer Joseph. 
His story is a fascinating account in the book of Genesis. And while he did very few things wrong, if there was one thing perhaps that we can receive from the text that he did wrong is he, he told his family about this dream. He told them, and, and when he told them, his father essentially said, who do you think you are? He rebuked him. But Joseph's brothers, when they heard about it, they, they who were already jealous of him, because the Bible tells us that Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob's many sons, They were already jealous of him, but now they became resentful of him. Resentful even to the point that they they pulled him aside, they put him in a pit, and they threatened to kill him. That that resentment was so strong, but instead of cooler heads prevailed, and God had a a, a greater plan, uh, and, and, and instead of killing him, the Bible says that his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. To cover their actions to cover their deeds, they went back to their father, taking with them the coat that Joseph had been wearing for some period of time. It was a coat that Jacob had given his favorite son. It was beautiful, it was colorful, it was beautifully embroidered. They tore it up, messed it up, put some blood on it, took it back to their father and said, we regret to inform you that wild animals have killed and consumed Joseph. He is no more. Of course, he, he was still around, but he was on his way to Egypt. When he got to Egypt, he began a new chapter in his life. And in that place, in that new place, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was himself a very influential person in Egyptian society, a man of influence and power. It was in Potiphar's household as a slave that Joseph began to demonstrate a God-given ability for administration. He could organize things. He could oversee things. And he began to oversee certain things in the household. And over a period of time, he began to oversee the entirety of Potiphar's household. Or I should say, with the exception of two things, Potiphar, of course, and Potiphar's wife. Now, speaking of Potiphar's wife, she had some real issues. Her biggest issue was that she was consumed by lust. The Bible says that Joseph was young and he was good looking and Mrs. Potiphar noticed this. She noticed it, but there was something evil within her and she went to Joseph one day and she propositioned him. She attempted to seduce him. Joseph wisely said no, but she continued. It was a a, a repeated seduction. She would keep asking and he would keep saying no. And and he explained it this way. He, He said to her, he said, everything in the household has been given under my care except you. How could I then break the trust that my master has over me? But then he added this, very importantly, he said, and more than that, how could I also sin against God. Joseph recognized that this was a violation of trust with his master, but more than that, his father in heaven. Joseph, he somehow knew that to say yes to her would say no to the dream. And he continued on. He trusted God. Well, that behavior on her part continued, and he continued to 
resist until one day she asked him again. Actually, she told him again, sleep with me. Let's go aside and have sexual relations. And he said no again. And he ran. Now, Mrs. Potiphar is a woman scorned and, and she calls for the guards and she accuses Joseph of attempted rape. Joseph is apprehended, he is charged, and he is placed in a prison. It's called Pharaoh's prison or the king's prison. He's incarcerated there and and he's falsely accused. He's an innocent man, but there he is. It's all part of God's plan. It's while he's in prison, he's not the only person in prison, uh, uh, there are others, but it's in prison he, he continues that administrative ability that God had given him. He, he continues to organize things within the prison, within, among the other cellmates or among the other uh, prisoners there in the, in the king's prison. One of the persons in the king's prison, uh, some point into Joseph's incarceration, one man who had been a, a servant at one time of the king, the Pharaoh, who was also incarcerated there with him, one night, the Bible says, he had a dream. Uh, it was a, a dream that was very perplexing, very confusing. He woke up the next morning somewhat disturbed, and he mentioned or he told the dream to Joseph. Joseph, in that moment, God immediately gave him the interpretation of that dream. He told him what it meant, and Joseph told him that he was going to be released in just a few days' time and that, 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 that he's going to go back into his place of employ with, with Pharaoh. Joseph said, this is going to happen, but when you get there, when you leave this place and go back to your position with Pharaoh, please remember me and get me out of this place. Well, it happened as As God had revealed to Joseph, the man was released. He goes back and he he quickly forgot about Joseph. (laughs) And two years pass. Two more years where Joseph is doing his thing in the prison, organizing and overseeing a responsible person. Two more years. I need to add a bit of a timeline here. Now this this is a total of 13 years have now passed. He was 17 years old when God revealed the dream to him. Now he is 30 years old. 13 years have passed. And during that time, of those 13 years, he's, we don't know the breakdown, but for 13 years he has either been a slave in Potiphar's house or a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison. 13 years is a very long time. And during those 13 years, God is shaping him and preparing Joseph for the dream, and he's preparing the dream, the fulfillment of the dream for Joseph. Again, he's 30 years old, and one night, though he's not aware of it, it's some distance away, Pharaoh himself has a dream. The king has it. The king of Egypt has a dream. It is so disturbing. He wakes up the next morning and he immediately calls for people to come and explain the dream to him because he, he wants an answer. He's disturbed. He's, he's bothered by this dream and he wants an explanation. And so he asks around and people, no one has, has the ability, no one is aware of what the dream means. But then the guy who had served time two years previous with, with Joseph remembers, oh, I know a guy. So 
Joseph is summoned. He's brought from prison. He's cleaned up. He's shaved. He's placed before the king. The king tells Joseph his dream, and immediately, again, from God, Joseph receives the interpretation, the explanation of what it meant. And he tells him. And this, in essence, is the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. For seven years in the nation of Egypt, there are going to be some phenomenal harvest. There's going to be so much food, so much grain specifically, that, that they're, going to be able, they're, they're not even going to be able to count it all. They're going to lose count. There's going to be such a surplus. It's going to be seven phenomenal years of harvests. And Joseph said, but we are to save 20% of every year's harvest. We're to put it into grain bins. We are to secure it. We're to put guards on it. We're not to use it because, Joseph added and continued, Joseph said, because the seven years that follow the good years are going to be seven very, very, very bad years. There's going to be famine. There's going to be deprivation. There's going to be death. And so we're going to need the surplus from the good years to make it through the bad years. king hears this and he's like yes something resonates within him he's not a follower of jehovah god he he knows so little about god but god can still turn the heart of even a pagan king and and he understands and and he looks at joseph and he says you're the guy to oversee this well we know that that was really of god and and he appoints joseph to be the overseer of this new venture And so for the next seven years, Joseph carries out this task of overseeing the the accumulation of this surplus harvest, putting it in secure places, putting guards on it. And, And over the next seven years, he grows in influence, he grows in power. God has given him such favor, he's actually, very quickly, the second most powerful man in the entire kingdom. No one is more powerful than him except Pharaoh himself. Seven years pass. And then, two years into the seven bad years, two years into the seven bad years, now, 22 years have passed between where Joseph is and when God first gave him the dream. 22 years. 17, when God revealed the dream to him, without explaining the why. 22 years have passed. He's a different man. He's an influential man. But God has been shaping him. Two years into this, the famine is great, but people in Egypt are not starving. They're not they're not facing the, the horrible devastation that could have been because they have the extra. But the famine is not contained to Egypt. It it, it goes beyond the borders of Egypt. It goes all the way up to Canaan. Canaan is Joseph's old home territory where his family still is. 
And back in Canaan, Jacob, now 22 years older himself, his father, Joseph's father, and Joseph's brothers, also 22 years older, are back in Canaan and they're going hungry. They've run out of food. It's two years into this famine time and they're wondering what's going to happen. Jacob, this elderly father, says to his sons, Go to Egypt, I understand there's food there, go there and bring some food back to us or we are going to die. So the sons of Jacob, the brothers of Joseph, make their way, almost all of them, leave Canaan, they come to Egypt and they come and they come before Joseph. Now they don't know that this is Joseph, their brother. He has spent more time in Egyptian society than he has in Canaanite society, Jewish society. A lot of things that he looks Egyptian. He sounds Egyptian. They come before him, this extremely important, influential, and powerful man. And the Bible says that they bowed before him. They bowed before him. Now, I want you to understand something. When they bowed, we looked at this last week. When they bowed before him, when those brothers of Joseph bowed before him, Joseph, in ways greater than he had ever understood before, understood the why. Again, they didn't know that this was Joseph, they didn't know this was their brother. But Joseph knew like he'd never known before, the why. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, it's a dramatic moment. A lot of things have been happening in the, in the, in the weeks since that first appearance before their brother Joseph. A lot of things have been happening. You can read the entire story later. There's so much to it. But Joseph, he's been holding out on them. He's he's met with them several times. They don't know that this is Joseph. But in chapter 45, in verse 3, with great emotion, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Stop there for just a moment. I want you to imagine this scene in your minds. These brothers are before Joseph, and they are right here having a near-death experience. Suddenly they realize this this man who, again, literally has the power of life and death in his hand. If he said no food, the family starves. If he says food, they live. This is the second most powerful man, and he's been the second most powerful man in Egypt for nine years. If he says off with their heads, then their heads roll within seconds. It says that they were unable to speak. They didn't know what to say. They are absolutely terrified. They're looking at Joseph and they're realizing this is the guy we sold. In fact, Joseph reminded, I'm the one that you sold into slavery all those years ago, into into Egypt all those years ago. 
And they're thinking, or rather, they're expecting to receive about the same amount of mercy that they gave to Joseph 22 years before. They're thinking it's over with. Not only are we dead, but our families, because they all had families, our families back in Canaan, they're going to starve. This is right here at the end of verse 4, the, the most dreadful moment of their existence. But look at verse 5. Joseph said, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I want you to see that verse, and if you're into marking up your Bibles, go ahead and mark that verse because it is absolutely powerful. Look at it again. Joseph said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. Two times, once in verse 5 and again later on in verse 7, or rather, yes, in verse 5 and in verse 7, he used the word that the words that God sent me ahead of you to save lives. It's right here in this amazing moment of drama. It's right here in this amazing reveal by brother Joseph, it's right here that Joseph spoke to God's purpose. Joseph understood and he wanted his brothers to understand that God had sent him ahead of his family to save them. You'll, you'll look here and you'll, you can look elsewhere in this amazing text. You will not find him blaming his brothers. He knew that they had a role in this, but he understood that God had a greater plan. Joseph understood and he wanted them to understand that this is why he had gone through those hardships. It is why he, he had gone through the suffering as a slave there was a reason why he had been falsely accused and, and, and they had incarcerated an innocent man. This is why God had allowed him to go through all of these challenging, challenging times. This is the why. He understood the why of how God gave him favor and the ability to administrate and the ability to, to interpret dreams. He understood the why he understood that it was so that people would be saved. 22 years later, he had always been in God's plan. Joseph had always been in God's plan. All the way back here when he, was, when he first had the dream, it was a part of God's plan. It was God's plan to to reveal to him what was going to happen even if he didn't understand the why. He was in God's plan when he was in Potiphar's house as a slave. He was in God's plan when he was falsely accused of something that he had, he, he, he had repeatedly refused. He was in God's plan when he was serving in a prison. He was in God's plan when he was forgotten 
in a prison. He was in God's plan when he was elevated to the second most powerful place in the entire kingdom. He was in God's plan when he organized and worked hard, long days and short nights for those seven, eight, nine years. He was always in God's plan, but now he understood when his brothers came before him, when they bowed before him, when they said, we're about to starve back in Canaan, we need help. Now he understood, like never before, God's purpose. He'd always been in God's plan, and I think he knew he was in God's plan, but now he understood God's purpose. Those are two different things. God's plan for our lives begins, it begins long before we even know it. It begins when his Holy Spirit draws us. God's plan for your life began before you even knew anything about him. But the biggest moment of God's plan for your life began when you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most important part of God's plan for your life. Far more important than anything else that you will ever go through the rest of your life is that very beginning point is when you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's a part of God's plan. I would like to tell you that it's always going to be God's plan for, you know, from that point on that everything's going to be easy, that everything's going to be gentle, that everything is going to be kind. I would love to tell you this morning that, that when you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you surrender your life to him and he forgives you and, and, he, and he reroutes you from hell to heaven, I would love to tell you that from that point on it's going to be easy, but I, I know the Bible too well and that's not how it is. If I were to tell you that, I'd be telling you a lie. Because God's plan is never in a straight line. God's plan is is never predictable. But we can go on his plan for a long time and not always understand his purpose until later on. There are things that the Lord will allow you and is allowing you to go through right now and you're wondering why. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to a loved one? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so painful? Why is it taking so long? Why am I suffering so much? I have two questions for you this morning. First question, quite simply, is this, is are you walking in God's plan? I want every person here this morning to ask that. Are you walking in God's plan? Has there been a point in your life when you can look back, perhaps you can't remember it, maybe you were so young when it happened, but you know at some point in your past, you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You asked him to become your Lord and Savior. He began to transform you. Are you walking in his plan? Are you right now, even if that happened a long time ago or recently, just a few weeks ago, four persons here committed their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God. But whether it happened a long time ago or recently, are you walking in God's plan? Ever since then, ever since you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have sinned. 
But have you repented of that? Are you, are you walking in his plan? You say, well, I messed up. Yeah, but God's grace is sufficient. He, he's greater than that, and he, he can forgive, and he, and he will do that. Just come, and you lay it before him, and you confess it to him. I'm talking, are you in his plan? Are you walking in his plan? I'm not saying, is, is everything perfect? No, I'm asking, are you walking in his plan? Are you walking in obedience today? The second question, very different from the first but no less important. Second question is this. As you walk in his plan, do you have faith to trust him even if you don't know his purpose? Will you trust him even if you don't know the why yet? So many of you in recent weeks, this is our 11th and final week looking at the life of Joseph. I recited his entire story or much of his story because I want you to see God's plan throughout his life. And in these recent weeks, so many of you have come up to me more than perhaps any other series I've ever done of sermons. You've come up to me and you've said, God has been speaking to me so clearly through this. I'm relating to Joseph, this man who lived 3,900 years ago. I'm relating to him like, a, like I never thought I could. And the reason that it's resonating in you because it's the power of the word of God, but it's also because it's a story that I think we can all relate to in varying degrees in different parts of his story. You see, you're walking, you're walking in God's plan and, and all of a sudden something comes up and you're saying, why? And I want you to know that the God who in time, at the right time, it took a long time, but at the right time, God revealed his purposes, but there's a man who trusted God in the plan even if he didn't know the purpose. This morning, as we have looked at the life of Joseph, there's another life that I briefly want to look at. I want to finish this morning with another statement of purpose. And though they were separated by 19 centuries, the persons who declared these things, their explanation of the why is remarkably similar. It's from John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, it is a, it is a familiar, perhaps a familiar text in part because it is so purposeful. Jesus is speaking one night with a man named Nicodemus. But don't get hung up on just one man. He was actually speaking to all of us. And he knew it. And it's in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, very familiar, 
where Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In about 3,000, in about 1,900 B.C., a man named Joseph, just a man, a man in God's plan, and a man who understood like never before God's purpose, looks at his brothers, and with love and compassion, they're, they're thinking they're going to die, and they're guilty enough to die. Joseph looks at his brothers bowing down to him, his brothers in abject fear, and he says to them, I am not here to condemn you. I am here because God has a plan to save you. And Jesus stood not before a ragtag group of Jewish people from the area of Canaan. He stands before the world and he says, my father sent me ahead not to condemn. The law does that. Sin condemns us. But Jesus said, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Same word, save, to save the world. That, that is purpose. That is purpose. In just a few moments, we're going to receive communion. We've been planning this, preparing for it. Communion is a wonderful occasion in which believers gather together and remember what Jesus did. But before we do that, I want to pray with some of you. Would you bow your heads, please? If there is anyone here this morning who has not yet begun God's plan, who has not yet surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know? Well, one way that we can know is if we're absolutely sure that we were to die, that we would go to be with Jesus Christ, not because of what you have done, but because of what he did, because of his grace. If you know if you were to die in the next moment, if you would go to be with him, that's a good indication that you are saved. 
However, if you don't know, that may be a very good indication that you are not yet walking in his plan. Because when we come to Christ, our spirit bears witness of his salvation, of his transformation. So before we go any further, if this morning you want to be sure, you just want to be sure that when this life ends, I go to heaven to be with Jesus. You want to be sure that when this life ends, hell is not your destination, but heaven with Christ. If that's you and you want to be sure, would you just, before we go any further, before we receive communion, before we go any further, is there anyone here that would just do two things? First of all, lift up your hands and then catch my eye. It's very important that we do this. Is there anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me. I just, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. Is there anyone here on the main floor? I'll wait just a moment because this is a very, very important moment. This is a dream moment. This is where God begins amazing things in you. Anyone on the main floor? And in the balcony. Is there anyone in the balcony? Lord, I thank you for speaking to us this day and reminding reminding us of the difference between plan and purpose. We're in your plan. Help us, Lord, to have faith in you so that even if we don't see the purpose yet, we know that you have a purpose. When we go through those incredible challenges and and yet we know that we're a part of your plan, help us, Lord, give us the faith we need to trust you even if we do not yet see the purpose. We call that faith, Lord. We need it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the gentlemen if they would assist me here at the front. We're going to receive communion this morning by way of explaining how we do this. If you're here for the first time, uh, I encourage you, we encourage you to receive communion. If even just a few moments ago you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we encourage you to do so. You do not need to be a member of this church. You do, however, need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as these emblems are being passed, there is both a cup, the element of the cup, and the element of the bread or the body. Would you please take that and hold it? Please do not partake of it yet. We're going to wait until everyone has been served. And then once everyone has served, we will receive it together. While that is being distributed, I want you to know also that this is a a time in which we allow the Lord, we ask the Lord to do a, a searching, a scanning, if you will, of us. The Bible says that we are to not eat or drink of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. In other words, sin in our hearts or unconfessed sin or a broken relationship with someone else that we have a a choice over. If that is you this morning, I want you to to allow the Lord to do a work in your heart. And, And this is a great time. You can confess it to the Lord right now. 
while that's being distributed, I think we're going to sing a song. And I think you may know it. Let's sing it together. I hear the Savior say.
to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sing it again. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as The Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul recounts what Jesus and the disciples had done. Paul was not there, but he knew people who were there that night. And Paul, like us, looks back on that incomparable moment in all of eternity. As Jesus was anticipating the cross just hours ahead of him, and beyond that, his resurrection, gathering his disciples with him, Jesus said to them, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take that bread in your hand. Lord, we do what you did that night you broke it and you you gave thanks but our thanks is directed to you you went ahead of us to save us you went through the suffering the false accusation the beating you humbled yourself you became a man. For those 33 years, you walked among us. You went ahead of us to save us. We remember your broken body that hung on that cross, the body that was not taken but surrendered by you. And we give you thanks and we remember you and your sacrifice. Let's receive this together, please. In the same way, Jesus, after supper, took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, Paul added. Directed by the Holy Spirit, Paul added, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take that cup in your hands? Lord, this cup that represents your blood, your blood that was so willingly shed, your blood, you became the blood sacrifice. You became the sacrifice for our sins. You became the sacrifice for all of man so that all 
we have to do is then give ourselves to you. You did the work. You shed your blood. Your blood forgave us, forgives us of all sin. All sin. All sin. Forgiven. And we thank you. And we love you. And we remember you. And we receive this together. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the cup, please. Now, would you do this? Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. And we love you. You died on that cross, but you didn't remain dead. You rose on the third day following. You ascended into heaven. You sent your Holy Spirit, and someday you're going to come for us. Some have gone before us, Lord, in death, and they're now in your presence. We rejoice in eternal life, but it was all made possible because of what you did on that cross through that empty tomb. So many centuries ago, brothers bowed before a a brother that they thought was dead but that was alive. Someday we're going to gather around a throne and we're going to bow before your throne, but Lord, we do so right now. And we thank you for what you did. You went ahead of us to save us. Sin condemns us. Sin condemns us. We're lost. We're hopeless. We deserve to die. But oh, Jesus, because of your grace, we live. Because of your grace, we're forgiven. Because of your grace, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord, as we walk in your plan to trust you for your purposes. And I thank you. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, as we fellowship together, as we minister together, perhaps as some gather around this altar for additional prayer, Lord, we just ask that you will move in us. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. And we give you the glory. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.